Hello and welcome to this Edible Norwich Walking Tour podcast. My name's Rachel Rydelge and I'm Community Librarian for Local Studies for Norfolk Libraries. Hello, and I'm Chris. I'll be joining Rachel on this uh, walking tour. Um, I'm the uh, Archive Specialist, I'm Chris Tracy, Archive Specialist at Norfolk Heritage Centre. And Chris and I today are going to talk you through a walk, a quite a short walk around Norwich, looking at the some key sites relating to the history of chocolate making in Norwich. Um, it's quite a short walk, uh, feel free to, to just do part of it if you want to. Um, you can sit and listen to us um, talk you through the walk if you prefer, or you can um, head to our website, and the link is in the podcast description, and you'll find the map of the walk we're going to do today, as well as uh, photographs and images that illustrate the walk. So, um, we're starting our walk today in Norwich Cathedral, in the nave of Norwich Cathedral. And this is because, usually, there is a font in the nave of Norwich Cathedral made from two copper bowls which were previously used in chocolate manufacture um, in the city. And they were gifted to the cathedral by the confectionery company, which um, many of us will be familiar with, Roundtree Macintosh, after the closure of their chocolate factory in the mid-1990s. Um, and Chris and I did a, a run through of this walk um, probably about two or three weeks ago and uh, we were a bit unsuccessful in finding this font because it's been replaced with a dinosaur, hasn't it, Chris? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so we're not entirely sure when you'll be, um, you know, when you're, when you're listening to this, obviously, but hopefully by the time you are, when you uh, pop into the nave of uh, the cathedral, the, uh, the chocolate, the copper chocolate uh, bowl font will be there for your, for your delight and edification rather than a giant dinosaur. Um, we did enjoy looking at the dinosaur, didn't we? We did. The people yeah. were very nice in there um, and uh, were, were quite apologetic that the uh, the font wasn't around. I got the distinct impression they were they would have preferred to somehow accommodate the uh, the font with the dinosaur. But um, nevertheless, a visit to cathedral is always uh, is always a joy. And there are lots Absolutely. of other things in there to see, aren't there, Rachel? There is, and it's well worth having a look at Dippy the dinosaur um, this summer. Um, so, in, in more usual times, when there isn't a dinosaur in the cathedral, um, there are these two copper bowls, and it is a beautiful font, and it's just as you enter the cathedral where the small gift shop is, um, it's right by there, so do check that out. But we're going to start our walk from the cathedral anyway. In 1996 was when the city centre uh, city centre factory closed. Um, but before that, there was a real strong smell of chocolate in the city, which loads of people remember. The mainly what we're going to talk about today is AJ Cayley's and the Cayley's Chocolate Factory, which then was bought by Roundtree Macintosh, and we'll go on to talk about the history of that later. Um, but Cayley's really became known, really well known for chocolate making, but that's not actually where the business started. So Albert Jarman Cayley uh, was born in, in 1829 in Windsor and he was the son of a silk merchant um, and he went to Eton, he was very well educated and he then established a chemist shop on Windsor High Street um, in 1853 and we found a description of um, Albert Cayley, he's described as spare-built, benevolent but keen-looking man, a man of ideas and initiative. But Cayley started by producing mineral waters um, in Norwich in 1863. Um, and they soon outgrew their original premises, which we'll go on to talk about a bit later. 
and they ended up buying a building in Chapelfield where the Chantry Place shopping centre is. So our walk today is going to meander around the city and end up at the Chapelfield shopping centre. If you're standing by the font and you look behind you, you'll see the west window and this is the largest single window in Norwich Cathedral and it's absolutely beautiful. And there's a photograph of it um, on the website as well, on our website. This was designed by George Caleb Hedgeland and was installed in 1854. And it shows scenes from the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And it was created as a memorial to Bishop Edward Stanley, who was Bishop of Norwich between 1837 and 1849. And uh, George Hedgeland designed many more windows across England uh, before he moved to Australia in 1859. So yeah, t do take the time to have a, a good look at the uh, the window and just have a, a general, depending on how much time you have, have a general wander around the cathedral. I do think it's one of those things, you know, if you're interested in history and you live in Norwich, it's easy, as with the castle, you know, it's easy to, to take it for granted to a certain extent. But um, getting in there and, and having a good sort of, you know, allowing yourself a good bit of time to have a wander around and soaking in, the, the, the window is actually really genuinely beautiful, really sort of bejeweled reds and blues and really really lovely uh, lovely design um, by the uh, aforementioned George Caleb Hedgeland. Okay so once you've had your fill, once you've had your fill of the cathedral, where do we where are we off to then Rachel? So we're going to leave the cathedral grounds via the Ethelbert Gate um, and this is the gate to the cathedral close which dates from 1316 and we're going to head out of the Ethelbert Gate and walk up Queen Street um, and as you walk up Queen Street there's a couple of points um, to notice particularly uh, interesting is the Boardman building which is now Sowerby's I think it's an estate agent isn't it, it Chris? Is, it it's is, an estate yeah. agent. If you listen to our previous um, walking tour podcast about the Colmans you'll have heard us talk a little bit about the Boardman family um, Edward Boardman was a, an architect and, and surveyor uh, who designed many important Norwich buildings, um, including the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital, as it was um, before it moved out of the city. And in 1889, he designed the Cayley's Chocolate Factory. Um, and in this year, he was also appointed an alderman um, in the city. So have a look at that as you walk past. There's a there's a big plaque um, on the side of the building which gives you some more information. So um, take a look at that as you walk past. So keep heading up um, Queen Street, cross the road at Bank Plain, and then walk down London Street past Cozy Club. Um, and you're going to stop sort of near uh, the building which now houses Bravissimo. Yeah, absolutely. So London Street, originally, um, well, no, originally it was called Hosier Gate, uh, meaning Street of the Stocking Makers, the old Danish Gata, of course, meaning street. Um, and the 17th century became Cocky Lane after the, uh, the stream which ran, ran through that area. Uh, but then it was renamed London Lane in the 18th century. Um, all things London being uh, being fashionable at that point, as as it always always continues to be. Um, but yes, of course, London Street today, famous of course for being a pioneer in relation to the pedestrianisation of Norwich city centre. Um, July the 17th, 1967, that was the key date. Um, the first shopping street in the UK to be pedestrianised. Um, really, what I mean, it's, it's you know. 
it's it's a bit of a sort of a, a comic thing to say, um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it was a pioneering uh, scheme. Um, yeah, pedestrianisation uh, occurred in many other uh, cities and urban areas um, in the following years, um, and it is very pleasant indeed, as we are today, to uh, take the airs um, wandering down London Street. Um, so yeah, as as Rachel said um, earlier on in relation to the sort of the early beginnings of Cady's um, chocolate making. Um, A.J. Cady uh, from, uh, from Berkshire um, and he set up his business originally uh, as I think Rachel already said in Windsor, Windsor High Street having gone to Eton, um, Eton the school not Eton the, uh, the sort of suburb of Norwich um, but yeah so 1857 he moved to Norwich Actually, it could be 1856. I'm not entirely sure. Some some places say 1856, some 1857. But by 1857, certainly he was established with his business, which was originally chemists, uh, pharmaceutical chemists, in London Street. The exact location, we haven't entirely been able to absolutely pinpoint, have we? Some people have already written on this subject. Um, number two London Street has been mentioned. But there seems to be a bit of a blurring between London Street and the walk um, if you look in trade directories, we've got a number, um, a wide selection of trade directories, which are fantastic if you're doing business, uh, sorry, if you're doing house history or looking to trace the history of a business or building in Norwich. Um, and we have trade directories for the, for the late 1850s and early 1860s. Um, and you can find him, his name there, A.J. Cayley, pharmaceutical chemist, um, London Street. Um, but it doesn't, and as, as we know, if, if, if you've happened to have done any uh, house history or this kind of research, you'll know that house numbering and business numbering um, can be very misleading and, and numbers of buildings uh, and what have you change um, over time. But the fact is, certainly he was in London Street and on our website um, to accompany this walk, you'll see um, a lovely print actually um, showing London Street um, uh, at this period, round about the 18. Uh, possibly a bit late, 1870s, 1880s. Uh, but yeah, so from 1857 uh, he was in London Street um, and he wasn't really, as we've sort of said, he wasn't really famous for chocolate manufacture at this point yet, was he, Was he, Rachel? No, he wasn't. Um, they started off from 1862, AJ Cayley began manufacturing soft drinks, so mineral waters, um, and this started off in a, in a back room of the shop as, as a, as a sideline business. But by 1881, this was absolutely their most successful area of trade. Um, and Cayley's Table Waters, as they were known, had a worldwide reputation for their taste. So they actually held royal warrants as um, suppliers of mineral waters to the royal family. Um, and they produced all sorts of things, so soda water, Potash water, which I have to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what that is. Seltzer water, aerated distilled water, which sounds like lots of different ways of saying fizzy water. Ginger beer, ginger ale, lemonade and squash um, they produced and supplied to the royal family. Absolutely. So when the firm moved to Chapelfield Works um, eventually, which we're going to talk about, their water quality... Um, was really improved as it was taken from a very deep well and so this was um Cayley's became very famous for having this very um distilled and clear water described as being practically sterile and devoid of organic matter uh, which i think is what you want from your water isn't it um and their ginger beer was actually the best best in the business apparently and they had a very um very specific uh 
closely guarded recipe where it was made from the finest prepared Jamaican dried ginger, the pulp of the choicest Messina and Sicilian lemons, and sugar in the purest crystal form. Superb. That sounds rather delicious. Well, it does, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Could have done with that on the day we did our water. It was very hot, wasn't it? It's not today. It it's it's grey and windy out there at the moment, but mm. not to worry. Anyway, so in terms of walking, Rachel, where are we now? We need to... Um... So we've walked down London Street, and if you have Swan Lane on your right, you're going to duck down Swan Lane. Um, and actually, as you head down Swan Lane, there is a blue plaque, isn't there, of interest? Um, oh, is that the boxing one? It is. It's it's about Gem Mace, and it's just on the wall of um, what's Turtle Bay now. So have a look at that as, as you walk past, and you're going to end up on Bedford Street. Yes, so Bedford Street. We are trying to, as, as you probably realise, we are trying to weave the history a little bit in. It's, it's quite tricky because um, unlike our Coleman's Walk, which I'm sure you would have done, if you haven't done so, please go and do that, um, there aren't that many sort of key sites which link nice and neatly um, to the story. So we're trying to sort of give you a little bit of other historical stuff to talk about as we go through. Um, but we've talked about the, um, the success of the, the table waters, the aerated waters, fizzy water, as you say, Rachel. Um, and um, so, so yeah, London Street was where the Cayley was based originally. Um, but as we say, it started off as a sideline, making the ginger beers and the fizzy waters and what have you. This became incredibly successful. Um, it seems as though you know the fact that the general sort of chemist side of the business more and more took a took a backward back seat um, to the to the extent that by 1864, additional premises were required because of the expansion. Um, and the success of the of the ginger beer and the, and the lemonade and, and the uh, mineral waters and what have you. So in 1864, he opened uh, premises on Bedford Street, which is, of course, not very far away at all. So once you've gone down um, Swan Lane, you'll find yourself um, in Bedford Street. Um, again, we're not entirely sure precisely, precisely where he was located. It's not absolutely clear, but he was uh, there. Take your time whilst there to have a look around. There's a nice little little sort of uh, businesses and what have you and little nooks and crannies but yeah so from Bedford Street where do we go? So we're gonna head left up Bedford Street now so at this time we're sort of in the 1870s at the moment in the story of, of Albert Cayley and in 1874 the partnership between Cayley and um, Octavius Corder his, his business partner was dissolved and Corder continued with the the um, business of, of being a chemist and Cayley continued um, with his own business. Um, so we are heading along um, Bedford Street now. So you've turned left onto Bedford Street and then you'll reach Exchange Street. So you'll have Gerald's on your left and uh, turn right onto Exchange Street until you meet St Andrew Street at the bottom. And you'll be stood at some traffic lights. And if you look left here, you will see the current BT telephone exchange. And this is the site of the old Duke Street Library. So the old Duke Street Library was um, Norwich's first public library, and it was the library that um, preceded the um, Central Library, which is on the site where the Forum is now. But why the Duke Street Library is interesting, uh, is an interesting part of our Cayley story, is because it was where the Norwich School of Art um, used to be uh, housed. So part of the Norwich School of Art was on the third floor of the Duke Street Library. And it was here that um, a young Alfred Munnings was educated. Uh, born in 1878, the son of a Suffolk miller, 
and he came to Norwich when he was aged 14 um, and he became an apprentice lithographic artist um, but also attended the Norwich School of Art. So the old School of Art was on the third floor of the Free Library um, and the building of this extra story actually delayed the building's completion by more than a year. So the Free Library was um, was built in 1857, seven years after Norwich had adopted the Public Libraries Act, so we were a very early adopter of, of that act. The premises that the library was going to be in were shared also by the Norwich Museum, the Chamber of Commerce and the Norfolk and Norwich Literary Institution as well as the School of Art. So uh, by sharing the building it meant that the um, that it took quite a while for it to, to be opened. And actually in the end the library only ended up occupying a third of the building um, because they rented out so much of the space to um, these other organisations. Alfred Munnings um, was uh, apprenticed to Page Brothers um, who were contracted to design uh, the posters for Kayleys and the chocolate and the cracker boxes and Alfred oversaw this artwork. So in 1899 the Kayleys fancy box department expanded into making Christmas crackers so the girls that worked in the fancy box department who made the frills for the chocolate boxes turned their skills to making crackers and Alfred Munnings um, designed the cracker boxes um, and the adverts for these crackers in particular. And we've got a lovely, um, a lovely little photograph um, on on the website of the Duke Street Library. In in general, I should should mention um, if you're interested in any of the historical photos um, that we've got accompanying uh, this podcast, um, do have a look at Picture Norfolk. Um, that's our digitised um, online resource. Um, the Heritage Centre has. Um, approximately 200,000 um, photographic items, uh, original photographs and prints and, and negatives and glass plate negatives and, and early photographs and lots and lots of wonderful things. But if you're interested, generally, if, you, if you're interested in a particular historical subject, you, you want to see if there's an old photograph of your street or your town or your village, do do, do have a look. Um, just type in Pitch Norfolk into into Google and, um, and have a bit of an explore. As I say, um, we've got quite a few really nice ones uh, to accompany this particular um, particular talk. Um, but yeah, do do have a look. Um, so, we've, we've learned about Alfred Munnings, we've learned about the Duke Street Library, that's superb. Um, we've got a little bit of a wander now to get to our sort of next Cayley's bit, haven't we? I we think, have. Rachel? So if you now walk left along St Andrew Street and then take the first left again onto St John Madder Market, uh, walk up St John Madder Market and continue on to Dove Street, um, just keep walking until you get to a taxi rank and there'll be Tesco on your right and you will see from here the Norwich Guildhall on your right. Absolutely, one of the um, real sort of jewels um, in the crown in terms of Norwich's historic buildings um, in the city centre. Um, yeah again another one of those that you can easily, we, I've mentioned this in relation to the cathedral, but you know you can easily sort of just wander past and uh, it sort of blends into the to the background but it really is worth having a having a closer look at. The, um, the Guildhall, um, right from the, well, originated in the early 15th century um, and was the, the centre of the uh, city's administration, city government from that time for hundreds, hundreds of years. It was only until um, City Hall that we're all very familiar with now, um, built in, uh, in, in the mid-1930s, opened in 1938, um, and it was only at that point 
that uh, you know it, the the, uh, the function of the guild hall was replaced. It seems extraordinary when you, when you think about it. But yeah, really lovely building. Have a wander around. Have a have a look outside. The exterior um, is really lovely. Lots of really nice flint work um, that Norwich um, is genu uh, generally famous for. Um, as as um, was shown actually with the uh, Ethelbert Gate, which we didn't go into too much detail about, but I'm sure you will have noticed um, the really lovely um, flush work, sort of flint work, um, in the, uh, on the side of the Ethelbert Gate, which faced out um, into the tombland um, area. As I say, Guildhall, centre of city government from the early 15th century um, until replaced by City Hall. Um, there's, uh, there were various courts, um, a prison, um, and a chapel uh, within the within the uh, within the building, accommodation for civic officials, uh, and lots of storage space for um, uh, all the uh, paraphernalia which which comes along with uh, local government records and uh, civic regalia um, and what have you. Yes, do um, do have a good look around uh, the Guildhall. The Guildhall, um, of course, for those of you who have been in Norwich for a little while, a few years, in relation to uh, to Cayley's, um You'll, you'll remember Cayley's used to operate a, a coffee, coffee shop and cafe um, in the Guildhall for a number of years. Was it still three or four years or a bit longer than that, possibly? I remember I had oh, a, quite a, long time, a I bun. I think it was, a, I'm not sure if it was a Chelsea bun. It might have been an Eccles, Eccles cake, actually. It was very nice. It was very nice. It was, it was a sad day when, um, when, uh, when Cayley's was no more uh, the cafe in the, in the Guildhall. I think it closed around about sort of, um, it's difficult to say, 2002. 12, that, yeah, that sort of so. period. But the Guildhall also, sort of more, um, sort of in terms of more world historic um, events, as you'll see um, uh, in, uh, on the website uh, with regard to one of the photographs that's on there, was very uh, prominent during the war for Norwich. It was sort of a, an assembly point um, for a lot of speeches um, and sort of fund, fund, effectively fundraising events, such as the, the photograph we have on there. We've got a, a, a really um, evocative photograph of a fundraising um, sort of uh, exercise for Tank Week um, in 1918. Obviously, trying to uh, trying to raise money to, to buy tanks. Um, and there's a lovely photograph on there. You can clearly see the Guildhall in the background, uh, with some people stood atop a tank, exhorting, exhorting. Lots of people in various uh, beautiful World War One era hats and coats to. Uh, to give generously, so it's uh, it's one of those things about history. It gives you a thrill when you know when you know precisely what's happened on a on a certain spot. Um, but yeah, Guildhall from the Guildhall. It's not very far until our next until our next point of interest, is it? No. So um, as Chris said, Norwich Guildhall was the centre of city government until it was replaced by the City Hall in 1938. And if you cross the road now, you'll see City Hall. Um, in front of you um, and walk up to the large doors at the front of City Hall so you might want to head up the steps and, and just stand in front of the doors so you can get a really good look. So where we are in, in the story of, um, of uh, Albert Cayley we're, we're up to about 1883 and this is the point where he started making drinking chocolate um, or cocoa and this was because of the seasonal nature of, of soft drinks so he was making these Delicious mineral waters are lovely and refreshing in the summer, uh, but not so much in demand in the winter. And he didn't want to lay off his workers um, or not be able to pay them throughout the winter. Um, and by all accounts, he was a, a very benevolent um, employer. Um, so he decided that they would um, make mineral waters in the summer and drinking chocolate for the winter. 
Um, and it was around this time, it was in 1886, that they first started to make chocolate for eating. So as we've said, this is what Kayleigh's became really famous for. Um, so during the sort of 1880s, big period of change for the business, started to, to produce lots, lots of different product, uh, products. Um, so as I said, it, his employees um, very much respected AJ Kayleigh. He was a kind and considerate employer. Um, much like um, the Coleman family, if you listen to our previous podcast, they really prioritised the welfare of their workers. Um, and this was in part influenced be, uh, by his uh, religious faith. Um, and later in life, he was involved with the Evangelical um, Plymouth Brethren movement. Um, so the business is changing a lot in the 1880s. And if you look at the roundels um, on the uh, doors of City Hall, and I have to just mention at this point, I got this information from the really brilliant Colonel Unthanks Norwich blog, um, which I'll put a link to um, in the notes. It's an excellent blog just for general um, information and, and history of the city. Yeah, in the 1930s is when Norwich replaced the Guildhall with City Hall, as we'd mentioned, and this was also a time when the city had sort of reinvented itself um, as a centre for industry. Um, and the City Hall was the foremost, described as the foremost English public building um, of between the wars, and the decorative roundels on the bronze doors were designed to provide a snapshot of the industry of Norwich um, in this interwar period. Um, and they were designed by James Woodford, unveiled in October 1938. And there are 18 roundels, three per door, and they sort of tell a story of history, trade, and industry in the city. So we're going to look um, at a couple of these roundels. Um, if you look on our website, the images are up there. The first one we're looking at is of the filling of soda siphons. And as we've mentioned, Kayleigh's produced these table waters um, from 1862, which were their main product until they started manufacturing drinking and eating chocolate um, about 20 years later. So this roundel shows um, a female worker sort of wearing protective um, clothing, filling the soda siphons um, in the factory. There's another roundel as well, which we're going to look at, which um, shows the uh, manufacture of chocolate and also Christmas crackers. And um, this roundel shows, uh, you'll see that the decorative design has uh, crackers running around the edge of the design and also features another female worker um, in the middle hand making chocolates. And it's interesting that these two designs show women workers. Um, by the early 1900s, Norwich actually had a higher than average percentage of women workers working in their factories and um, it's said that this is because the type of factory work that was available in the city, such as packing chocolate, was seen as work that's well suited to women. And I already mentioned earlier, um, when they started producing Christmas crackers, this was also seen as good work for women because it was decorative. They had to fold the paper and create the decorative frills around the crackers. Um, women also uh, created the, the paper decorations to go around the chocolate boxes. So it was seen as sort of work that was well suited to women. And Kayleigh's had a very large female workforce um, at the time. 
at Kaylee's, as all factories at this time, paid far lower wages to women, and they also paid lower than the national average, um, unfortunately. So although women, um, a lot of women found work in the Kaylee's factories, they were being underpaid. Um, and also, interestingly, Kaylee's had a strict anti-union policy well into the 20th century. So um, women were unable to unionise and, and demand greater pay. So it's worth just looking at these two roundels and, and thinking it's fantastic that, that women are, are depicted and it shows that Kayleys um, were sort of at the forefront of employing women at this time, um, but they weren't necessarily treated as well as they could have been. Right, excellent. So, um, yeah, so once you've um, had a good look at the, the roundels on the doors of City Hall and, and also taking the time if it's um, appropriate and you don't feel too, too exposed just to sort of turn around and survey the, the, the nice vista of our fine city across the uh, across the canopies of the marketplace and taking in the um, taking in the, uh, the the castle on the in the background and, and uh, all the all the wonderful buildings that can be seen sort of along the skyline in that direction. Um, you need to head across um, from well facing the marketplace. You need to turn right. Um, make your way head towards the forum at this point. Yes. So if you walk past the city hall, it'll be on your right straight past the forum which will also be on your right pop into the library if you feel so inclined please do absolutely. and you'll walk through the chantry car park um until you reach the chantry place shopping center which most of us still know as the chapelfield shopping center i think but it's been since been renamed uh, chantry place so at this point um this this is the sort of site of the main Cayley's factory so we're going to spend some time here talking you through the the latter history of Cayley's at this point it's up to you whether you head through the shopping center down the escalator immediately ahead turn left and then exit onto St Stephen Street or head left on Chantry Road when you reach the shopping center and take the alleyway next to the Malt House furniture store and turn right on St Stephen Street either way you can spend some time just walking around the perimeter of, of the shopping centre, um, listening to, to what we're about to tell you. Okay, so um, here we are then at the, the Chapelfield site, Chantry Place um, Shopping Centre, as it's been rebranded, or Chapelfield Shopping Centre, as many of us know it, um, have known it for a number of years. Um, and this really is, really is where, where, everything, where everything happened for the, for the majority of, uh, of Katie's and uh, subsequent Roundtree, Macintosh, um, initially Macintosh, then Roundtree, Macintosh, then Nestle, um, the, the chocolate factory's history. Um, just to sort of go back to, to, to rewind um, a little bit, we've sort of spoken about the, uh, the manufacture of the aerated waters and the fizzy drinks, and initially at London Street and then expanded and, and was at Bedford Street. Um, I think Rachel already mentioned that in 1874, the initial partnership between AJ Cayley and uh, his initial business partner, partner uh, Chapel Corder, was dissolved. Uh, and as we've said, you know, the, the, the success of the business was continuing. Um, and it was in 1880 um, that Cayley moved from Bedford Street um, with the assistance of his son, Edward James, Edward James Cayley. They took over a building in Chapelfield um, that was formerly occupied apparently by a cloth weaver, possibly a glove maker. Um, and the Chapelfield factory, uh, from from the, from then on, was known as the Fleur de Lis, Fleur de Lis Works. So this is 1880. There is a photograph um, on the website 
um, of the factory um, being sort of uh, being added to uh, and being uh, refurbished um, sort of extensively um, uh, added to in 1899 because we mentioned um, uh, Edward Boardman didn't we um, and that was in 18. So there are basically general lots of sort of additions and improvements um, going on in this period of expansion in the 1880s um, and 1890s. So at this point, then turn of the century, um, Cayley's going from strength to strength um, under the the stewardship um, from 1895. Um, of Edward Cayley because unfortunately at this point well I mean you know he'd had a good innings um, when, when, did, when was he born 1829 so yeah he'd, he'd had a reasonable yeah. uh, a reasonable life but AJ Cayley in 1895 had retired um, in 1896 um, only only enjoyed a year of retirement unfortunately he, he, he departed uh, this life in 1896 um, by the turn of the century um, Cayley's had got into the milk chocolate uh, side of things um, then as now Swiss milk chocolate um, was, was generally regarded as being the finest um, available and, and Cayley's being uh, with an eye for an opportunity as always felt that you know they could compete on, on equal terms with the Swiss and so by 1901 had begun making Swiss milk chocolate um, using milk locally supplied milk actually from a chap called Garrett Taylor who, uh, who used the milk from his herd of Whitlingham Red Pole cattle. Um, so that was uh, rather jolly. Um, by 1904, then, um, the Cayleys, just to give you an idea of just how, you know, just how busy um, uh, and, uh, and how many people were, were on the site where you're now standing, by 1904, Cayleys was employing 700, 700 local people um, to make the chocolates which were being shipped, um, and the crackers, the Christmas crackers, of course, that were being shipped, all over the world. Just to give you a, a further, um, you know, indication of just how um, successful this period was. Um, only eight years later, by 1912, the number of employees had actually risen to 1,200, which is, you know, pretty pretty good going in terms of uh, success and, and expansion. Um, at this point, we're just going to, um, I'm just going to read you actually a, a little um, excerpt. Um, so to sort of give a, a bit more of a uh, sort of a first-hand um, insight into conditions and uh, everyday life at the factory in these sort of uh, this period, the 1880s, um, when 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 the chocolate side, um, well, the drinking chocolate side was really taking off. Um, so this is an excerpt from a Norwich Adventure, Part One: The Early Days of Cayleys, and this is taken from the Macintosh. Cayley Monthly News from 1949, which we've actually got um, in our store, as we have lots of other printed items relating to the history of, uh, of Cayley's and, and Macintosh and Nestle, um, along with, of course, many other hundreds and thousands of items relating to the history of Norfolk and Norwich. Um, but yeah, so this was obviously written by a, uh, an old employee um, in the 40s who, was, who must, have, uh, must have had a first-hand knowledge of the period in the 1880s. So I'm just going to read this to you now. The working hours of those days were 8am to 7pm, six days a week. Boys under 18 years started their half day at 4pm on Saturday afternoon. The works were open every day except Sundays, Christmas Day and Good Friday. It was a general thing to work on bank holidays. Of course, the summer staff was much larger and long hours were worked. 
The working day began at 4 or 5 a.m. and finished when the work was done at 10 or 11 p.m. as the case might be, but never after 12 on Saturday nights. No work, except attending to the steam boiler, was ever permitted on Sunday. More than once, Mr Cayley himself came and drew the taps of the ginger beer vats at 11.55pm on Saturday night, rather than that work should be continued on Sunday. Although the hours were long and the work strenuous at times, there were naturally slack periods, and then some of the employees used to be engaged in the garden and vinery, a pleasant change from factory routine. Again, the garden was very convenient when working overtime as fruit and lettuces, etc., were supplied to augment our teas and all partook of grapes in season. So, um, yeah, so I, I hope, I, I certainly felt that you can, you know, you, it gives a really nice insight into the day-to-day -day, um, life at the factory at that point in the 1880s. Um, just sort of by, by way of contrast, um, from the Norfolk Chronicle on the 3rd of September 1904, we've said already uh, on a number of occasions that Cayley's was generally felt to be a, a, a pleasant place to work. Um, AJ, uh, Al uh, Albert had uh, sort of set the pattern for, for it being a benevolent employer in the, in the tradition of those Victorian, great Victorian, and Coleman's actually, that um, as we've already sort of spoken about in relation to our Coleman's walk. Um, so yeah, and a sense of this, a sense of the benevolence and the general concern that Cady's had for their workforce is also given um, in this brief um, little excerpt from the Norfolk Chronicle. The Norfolk Chronicle, one of a number of newspapers that we hold at the Heritage Centre um, on microfilm. You can consult on microfilm um, and actually you can access a number of historic newspapers via some of the newspaper uh, subscription sites um, that we have uh, available through the Norfolk Library's um, uh, website as well. Um, but I'm just going to read you this brief excerpt. So this is, as I say, from the Norfolk Chronicle, 3rd of September 1904. Cayley's Athletic Association. The first annual meeting of the Athletic and Outing Association connection with Messrs AJ and Cayley and Sons Limited was held under pleasant auspices at the picturesque grounds of Pine Banks on Saturday. The various events included 100 yards dashes for entrance under and over 18 and over 30. There was a sack race, walking race, an egg and spoon, ginger beer and bun race and a variety of other contests. Tug of war was contested between teams from the chocolate factory, the mineral water factory, the clerical staff and the fire brigade. After a most interesting contest, the fire brigade won. I suspect the fire brigade had rather more uh, practice at sort of, you know, lugging heavy stuff about. This is a period of, of real growth and success for the factory. Um, the workers, as, as we've seen, you know, seeming, seemingly kept in uh, uh, very, very hospitable and, and, and good conditions. Uh, there were one or two setbacks in the, this period. Um, I think we mentioned in relation to the Guildhall uh, that, uh, that uh, Cayley's uh, supplied chocolate uh, during the First World War, but prior to that um, they had uh, something of quite a major setback. Um, again, on our, uh, on our website to, to accompany this part of the walk, we've got a photograph which shows the extensive damage that was caused to the Chapelfield factory by fire, which occurred um, in 1911. Um, 
quite a quite a bit of damage was uh, was uh, caused uh, by that. So there's a fire in 1911. Uh, this particular photograph actually um, is quite interesting because it comes uh, from an album of photographs that we hold. Uh, we hold over 200 photograph albums in general um, in the Heritage Centre, and one of them, as I say, um, is a Cayley family uh, photograph album. Um, it shows um, the date has photographs in it dating from around about 1906-1907, some really nice sort of photos giving you a general sort of overview of that sort of upper middle class um, sort of leisure and, and, and the way uh, that sort of uh, class of people lived at this point prior, you know, just pre-First World War, that sort of end of an era sort of feeling, you know, you've got photographs of them sort of, uh, you know, on the beach and uh, playing tennis and sort of enjoying sort of uh, amateur dramatics and all this sort of thing. Um, so again, that's a really nice sort of um, item that we hold at the Heritage Centre in relation to Cayley. So, you know, do, if you fancy coming and have a look at that, um, do, do feel free to do so. But as I say, it includes photographs of the fire um, in 1911. Um, and also lots of, quite well, not lots, quite a few photographs relating to the floods which occurred in the, the following year, in 1912. Many of you, I'm sure, will be very familiar with the um, awful flooding uh, that took place in that year, 1912, um, in Norwich. Um, but in terms of um, the story of the, of, the, of the factory, we've got another photograph um, on, the, on the website of the uh, additions to the factory which occurred in 1899. And then, there, as I say, there was a fire in 1911. A setback, certainly, with regard to the fire um, in 1911. And then, of course, one might call a setback for the world in general uh, in 1914 with the, the, uh, the outbreak of the First World War, of course. Cayley's certainly played their part with regard to the First World War, supplying marching chocolate um, to the troops. Um, this was known as Marcho, not the most imaginative. No, um, I think the creative, you know, the creative department of, of Cayley's perhaps could have, you know, perhaps could have worked a bit harder on that one. Um, but yeah, Marcho was supplied to the uh, supplied to the troops as part of their rations, I believe, um, in World War One. Um, and this was a point um, just at the end, the, the the final year of the war, 1918. This is a bit of a turning point, actually, because. I think when we talk, you know, people who remember the chocolate factory, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit confusing in terms of the various sort of ownerships and brands that the, the factory went over through the years. Um, 1918 is when um, Cayley's uh, first sort of becomes transferred to another, uh, another overall umbrella um, owner, because in 1918, Edward Cayley sold the company to the Eastern and Afrin Tr African Trading uh, Corporation. So at this point, we will. Um, you you may already be standing by the main entrance to the, uh, the shopping centre on St Stephen Street, and if you look up uh, either side of the door, there are two sort of sets of decorative plaques um, that commemorate the history of chocolate making, and they're in particular reference um, to this uh, link with Africa that after the purchase of the com uh, of the company by the Eastern and African Trading Corporation. Um, they started to import um, raw cocoa from Africa and, and these these plaques either side of the door um, are in reference to the process of harvesting and uh, manufacturing chocolate from, from the raw cocoa. So we'll keep walking around the perimeter of the shopping centre at this point. So if you he keep heading up St Stephen Street towards the roundabout, you'll have Wilkinson's on your right. And we're going to head round, um, it's called... 
Coburg Street. Um, and we're going to head up Coburg Street at the back of the shopping centre uh, until you reach um, a set of large round stones. Um, and we've got a picture on the website of Chris uh, sitting on one of these stones. And this is quite a good point to stop and um, listen to uh, the remainder of the podcast. Um, and these stones were actually um, taken from the factory before it was demolished and they were used in the chocolate manufacturing process. Absolutely. So, yeah, so uh, by the by the 20s, um, as we've said, uh, the, the factory was taken over or the company was taken over um, by um, by the Eastern African Trading Corporation um, and the 20s continued to be a period of expansion, continued to be a period of growth. Um, four new factories in 1920 um, within the Chapelfield Works um, site um, were completed. We've got a rather nice um, photograph on the uh, on the website, accompanying the talk, um, taken by George Swain at this period, uh, which shows a scale model um, of the site um, uh, at this time. Um, apparently, the new the, the new uh, uh, the new factories in 1920 cost 500,000 um, pounds at that point, which obviously it was a huge, huge amount of money uh, to invest in 1920, but it clearly uh, was necessary and was clearly worth it because production capacity uh, was trebled um, by this. Um, chocolate uh, by this time was, was, had, had, had long been um, the most important product, um, particularly Easter eggs. Um, Easter eggs um, continued to be uh, important for the company right through the 20th century up until, um, up until the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, but also Christmas crackers. Christmas crackers also really important. And again, um, we've got some lovely photographs um, on the website showing uh, Christmas cracker production happening in the in the the twenties uh, and the thirties. Um, so up until this point, it really had just been a period uh, had been a story um, of, of onward and upward, really. But apparently, by the thirties, the thirties, um, AJ Cayley and Son. Um, we're having we're having difficulties. We're we're beginning to make losses, uh, and things were looking a little bit bleak. Possibly, who knows? As 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 is can be the case with uh, with businesses. You know, perhaps they'd overextended themselves um, a little. But the fact is that by 1932, John Mackintosh and Sons of Halifax, um, motivated on their part um, by um, by a need uh, to try and increase their production, increase their uh, production capacity. They acquired the firm for £138,000. And as, as a result of that, uh, the site at Chapelfield um, was, was quite extensively expanded again. Um, although it has to be said, you know, there was a, uh, you know, uh, as a result of the takeover, there was a bit of consolidation. Um, efficiency savings, that's probably what they didn't call it then, but uh, is, is something that we're all familiar with. Um, and uh, a number of lines and uh, several dis departments were apparently discontinued um, at this point. Um, it should be said, what did we say? I think we said in 1912, in terms of the number of employees who were busily beavering away around where you're where you're sitting at this moment on those wonderful big stones in 1912 there were 1200 by 1935 um, that had increased again so there were 1500 1500 people um, working away at the Chapelfield site and sales um, were continuing to to, to grow um, after that blip and after that takeover by John McIntosh 
um, of Halifax. Apparently sales grew eightfold, eightfold between 1933 um, and 1938. Um, and it is 1937 that a real favourite that continued, um, well, continues, continues to be a, a favourite amongst chocolate fans. The Rolo, the Rolo first made its appearance um, in 1937. Okay, so, so yeah, 1930s, um, Obviously, they weren't aware of the, uh, well, perhaps anyone with a bit of a, a political eye was aware of the storm clouds gathering in terms of the uh, uh, outbreak of the Second World War later in the 30s. But um, uh, just to sort of uh, give us a little bit more, uh, uh, before we sort of talk about the war, um, we've already had an excerpt from uh, uh, a newspaper art article. Let's have a, a quick other one, because I think this gives us a nice um, indication of how... Um, you know the uh, Kayleys continued to be a you know a, a benevolent and uh, a, a good employer to work for. This is from the uh, Yarmouth Independent from Saturday, 18th of June, 1938. Kayleys employees outing. About 350 employees of A.J. Cayley and Son Limited had an enjoyable outing on Saturday to Whipsnaid, Windsor, and Aldershot. Leaving Chapelfield Works at 8.30 in motor coaches, the party travelled via Newmarket to Whipsnade, where they were joined by Mr Eric McIntosh, chairman of the company, and 30 of the Cayley staff in London. After lunch, the party visited Whipsnade Zoo, and at four o'clock drove to Windsor by way of Chesham, Amersham and Beaconsfield. At Windsor they had tea at the Castle Hotel and left at 7.15 for Aldershot. They arrived there in, in time to join in the community singing and left Aldershot at 1am. On reaching London they enjoyed an early breakfast and at 4 started on their return journey to Norwich which was reached at 8.30am. The outing was organised by Mr B.G. Sisson. Well I have to say Mr B.G. Sisson packed a lot in. He did. And by the he? end of that everyone must have been completely... Absolutely exhausted. Completely cream crackers. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Um, but at this point, as, as Chris mentioned in that excerpt, uh, you know, Mr. Eric McIntosh, who was chairman of the company, accompanied them on this trip. And, and the McIntosh family were very, very popular in Norwich. Um, at the time of the takeover, Harold McIntosh, or um, as he became the Right Honourable and Viscount McIntosh of Halifax, was chairman of the family firm um, by the age of 26, and he oversaw the purchase of A.J. Cayley in 1932. Um, and a lot of people described Harold as having really great drive and, and energy and a really good sense of fun and a very genuinely caring attitude towards his staff. So you can imagine actually um, as, as the Cayley um, business had developed this, this very benevolent attitude towards their staff and, and um, respected their staff's welfare, Harold McIntosh and, and the McIntosh family were the perfect um, family to take over this firm really um, and he lived at Thickthorn Hall in Heatherset with his wife um, and actually interestingly became the first Chancellor of the UEA and after he stepped down as chairman his brother Eric um, took over became chairman and director and he was followed by Harold's son John um, in 1950 and at this time in the in the late 1930s um, Macintosh Cayleys as they were known were exporting their famous Rolos to 100 countries, um, including Canada, Cape Verde Islands, Fiji, Finland, Nepal, Nicaragua. 
Um, and during this time, up to two tons of Rolos were produced every hour, which is quite incredible. Although initially, when Macintosh took over, Kayleys operated under independent management, the control was brought under the Macintosh umbrella from 1939, just on the eve of the Second World War. Um, and the fleur-de-lis factory at, at Chapelfield was definitely not untouched by the war, and in fact it was uh, completely destroyed by an incendiary raid in 1942. And there's some um, quite striking images on uh, on the website that we took from Picture Norfolk of the factory after the bomb damage. And I mean, it is completely razed to the ground, isn't it, Chris? It's entirely destroyed. Um, and the rebuilding of the factory started again in 1946, and they started limited production um, shortly afterwards, and then the, the rebuilt family was uh, factory was finally completed in 1952. And the war, everything, is, as we said, was sort of, you know, destroyed and burnt to the ground. But they took this as an opportunity to make substantial changes um, in the way that the factory uh, operated. So when it reopened in, in 1952, they introduced new products like munchies, um, and the mineral water business was uh, sold to a local brewer. So um, Macintosh got rid of, of the arm of the business that produced the mineral waters and focused solely on um, the chocolate production. So throughout the 50s, um, new lines were added. So as I mentioned, munchies and, and uh, chocolates called weekend. Um, also the Caramac and um, Good News Chocolates in 1960 as well. So some of their most popular products um, were added at this time. Um, and in 1953, the manufacturing of the Cayley's Christmas crackers was merged with um, the other famous uh, cracker producer, Tom Smith and company, and this formed a new enterprise. Um, but they continued to operate under the Cayley's name because it was so well known and well established. So by the 1960s, the Cayley's brand name was being phased out and replaced with, uh, with Macintosh and Sons. Um, so we get to the, the 1960s, at the, the, um, it's 10 years after the factory's been rebuilt and there are now 2,000 people um, employed at the at the Norwich factory, and there's some quite incredible statistics. As I mentioned, um, you know they're making two tons of Rolos an hour. Uh, throughout the 1970s and 80s, the factory was making up to 40 million Easter eggs a year, um, which is just incredible. Absolutely. And by this point, the Chapelfield site now occupied seven acres, um, and as you can imagine, much of the work was now done by machine. Um, and only um, the sort of hand making and the packing um, were the only areas where kind of the traditional methods were used. So by the late 1960s, by 1969, John Macintosh and Sons merged with Roundtree and they became Roundtree Macintosh, um, which was then acquired by Nestle of Switzerland in 1988. And this is when they started to make the Yorkie Bar in Norwich. A lot of people remember 1996, which was when the Norwich factory closed. So unfortunately, a lot of people um, lost their jobs, which they've had for a long time um, in the in the Cayley's factory. And um, it was a time of uncertainty for, for Nestle. But in a year later, in 1997, uh, former Nestle employees bought the Cayley brand from Nestle and they started to make Cayley's chocolate again. 
Um, a couple of years later, in 1999, Kaylee's was uh, acquired by another group, um, and chocolate production at this point left Norwich. So it's in 1999 where the smell of chocolate across the city ended. And now, as we see, um, you know, as you you may still be sat on uh, one of those large grindstones. Um, it was in 2005 that Chapelfield Shopping Centre opened on top of the old Cayley site um, and has since been re- renamed Chantry Place, um, embracing the site's medieval heritage um, as a secular college and chapel built during the 1200s. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. So, um, in terms of the photographs um, on our website, I think it's only fitting um, that we, we refer to and end with the... the, the one of a couple of photographs that we we have in our on picture Norfolk of uh, of uh, workers um, in that latter period. It's 1995, um, I believe the photograph was taken. But this shows one of our dear colleagues, doesn't it, Rachel? It shows um, it does. shows one of our dear colleagues who who now works with us uh, works with us in the in the library. But um, she was at that point uh, one of the workers um, on the uh, on the production line. Um, and um, you know, it's it's so it, it it was sad, and it is sad, isn't it? Nineteen, not very long ago, many of us can yeah, remember the mid nineties. End of an era, and I think when it? you know, having gone through um, all the various uh, steps along the road of of the of the factory, all its various incarnations, um, all the the world events, the twentieth, I mean, pretty much the entire twentieth century and the latter part of the Victorian period, um, you know, a huge amount of obviously history and and uh, it was ingrained, ingrained in the city, ingrained in people's memories for a long, 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 long time. And um, yeah, really sad when that finally left. So um, as you as you mooch around the Chapelfield site and where, wherever you go off to now, um, you know, I hope you've got a bit of an idea of just, you know, just how huge the, the contribution of, of, of chocolate making and, and K- the Cayley's company was to the history of the city and just how much of an impact it had on so many thousands of people's lives um, and continues how it continues, obviously, to live on in the memory of, of many, many people still still living in the city today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and yeah, do do come and see us in the Heritage Centre um, at any point if you if you wish to do so. Thank you. Take Thank care. you. Bye now.